cookie holy, holding Hudson is just very appropriate this morning because we're going to be looking at a story of Abraham and Isaac. My introduction is going to be a little bit longer this morning and perhaps a short on the text, but um, as we come to the end of our theme of uh, a fresh start, or as we come to the end of in the beginning, I apologize again, we've tried to fix the the PowerPoint, but it's not working. So Kathy, if it doesn't work, let's just not worry about it. I apologize for that. As we come to at the end of our time in, in the beginning, as we come to our last part of a fresh start, we're coming to Genesis 22, which actually highlights a fresh start because it highlights the cross. It highlights the cross. The cross is a central message of the Christian faith, and we've been singing a little bit about that this morning. It's the focal point of the scriptures. It's the core of what we uh, believe as the community of believers. It's what we accept as truth. The cross is one of those doctrines that we just cannot disagree upon. It's not okay to be able to go and say, well, I believe this about the cross and I believe that. No, the cross has to be central for every single one of us. The purpose, the intention, the significance of the cross should be meaningful to every one of us. And the teaching of the cross, we should be holding fast to as Christians. And you might well say, John, why are you speaking about the cross this morning? We hear about the cross all the time. We know already, already know its story. Well, as one of my favorite preachers likes to say, we cover these things not to tell you what you already know, but to remind you of the things that we must never forget. We're not here to say and tell you what you already know, but to remind each other of what we must never, ever forget. You see, this cross was spoken of by Jesus himself before he even went there. He knew where he was going, and he spoke about it. In the book of Matthew, Jesus spoke oftentimes of going to Jerusalem where he led his disciples, and the crowds know that he would suffer there. And then we reach Matthew 20, and he actually gets really specific. He tells his disciples, listen, I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm going to be crucified. It runs through Matthew. It runs through John. John speaks to a group of Greek men. On, uh, on the day of his triumphal entry, he's just entered in Jerusalem. And he tells these, group, uh, these Greek men, and he tells the crowd that is listening, he says, listen, when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men unto me. Jesus, with that statement, foretold and told his listeners, told the audience how he was going to die, he, how he would just give himself away there on the cross. Also in Luke, Luke chapter 24, we read about that great story of Jesus walking with two disciples on the road to Emmaus. And as they were going on this road, they were dialoguing on all that had just happened in Jerusalem, about Jesus' death, about his burial, about his resurrection. And verse 26 tells us, Did not the Messiah have to come and suffer these things and then enter his glory? And at the beginning, with Moses and the prophets, starting way back in Genesis, he explained to them what was said in the Scriptures concerning himself. Jesus, that would have been a great trip, wouldn't it? Of being one of those disciples listening to Jesus just open up the Old Testament, telling him why he had to die, why he had to be buried, why he was resurrected. Jesus focused on his going to the cross. 
But not only that, some of the great disciples, some of the great apostles focused on the importance of the cross. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul sees these words, I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. It was a central message for Paul. And then when he comes to his, at the end of his letter, at chapter 15, 1 Corinthians, he says these words, for what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. He was saying, guys, church Corinthians, this is the most important thing, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. Paul goes on to explain in other elements of the gospel. Yes, Christ's burial, his resurrection, and his public appearances. In that passage in 1 Corinthians 15, we see the, 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 uh, the roots, really, of the first creeds of the church. But Paul said, of first importance is the cross, is the cross. Verse, uh, Galatians chapter 6, verse 14, Paul goes on to say, May I never boast except in the cross, of the Lord Jesus. Paul had plenty to boast about. He was born a child of Abraham. He was trained as a Pharisee. He was educated to the upper degrees of Pharisaism. But yet he chose not to boast in anything, but he chose to boast only in the cross. Another great apostle, Peter, also spoke about the cross. And in doing so, he explained a little bit about the exchange that took place on the cross. And we should rejoice in this. We should love this because he says, he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, we have been healed. He goes on to say, for all of us like sheep, we've gone astray, but now we have turned to the shepherd and overseer of our souls. Later on in that chapter, in verse 18, Paul describes the significance of Jesus at the cross. He said, the righteous one, the holy one, the sinless one, the pure one died for the unrighteous. The purpose of the cross was the righteous one dying for you and for me, his unrighteous ones. He explains the purpose of the cross. Why did he die? The righteous for the unrighteous. Well, very clearly, it was to bring us to God. 1 Peter 3.18, Christ died. was that sacrifice on the cross to bring us to God. The centrality of the cross was not just found in the central te- in the, the main teachings of Jesus, Paul, Peter, and others in New Testament. But the centrality of the cross is also found in the call of the cross that goes out to every believer, that goes out to those who partic- uh, it calls us to participate into the, with the cross. It calls us to identify with the cross. Therefore, the cross has implications for you and for me. Yes, it had implications for Peter and Paul and the other apostles, but it has implications for you and I today. Christians, we should not simply just observe the crucifixion as comfortable bystanders. We are called to identify it and participate in it. How do we do that? Paul says in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. 
See, Christ died, but there is a sense in which we also died with him. Becoming a Christian, it's almost like we are part of that crucifixion. We, in a sense, die, that human nature, that sinful nature. We let the old self die, that self that is absorbed in sin, that self that insists on pursuing our own will and agenda instead of God's, that self that is too afraid to trust God, perhaps, in a number of different things. And in the crucifixion, in the cross, we become one with God. We are willing to say, I want to die to those things that God doesn't like. I'm going to die to those things that are sinful. I'm going to die to those things that are not helpful in my life. Jesus even put it this way. Jesus talking to his disciples says, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me will find it. Why the cross? Because like Peter said, we've all been like sheep. We've all gone astray. Sheep are stupid animals, aren't they? They don't know how to look after themselves. And they scatter so simply. We're prone to do that all the time, aren't we? We are like, we are like those sheep. We are sinners. But because of our sin, we deserve the guilty verdict. We deserve the death penalty. We deserve the justice of God's wrath to be poured out upon us. But God, but God, who was rich in mercy, who was rich in grace, determined that on the cross he would take our punishment for our sin. He would be our substitute. That he would pay our debts that our sins incurred. He would be our redeemer. That he would die in the place of guilty men and proclaim that guilty man and woman cleansed chosen, free. He would be our saviour. On that cross, he chose to be our substitute, our redeemer, our saviour. And the wonder of the cross is this, that in God's own way, he was both punishing sin and fulfilling his justice, but he was pardoning the sinner. What a beautiful thought that is. And maybe we can join in with the, with the hymn writer that says, my sin Oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross. I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O oh my soul. I hope you'll forgive me for this slightly longer introduction. But I wanted to do it to help set up our text for today, which is Genesis 22. And it's the story of Abraham's test. It's the story of Abraham offering up his son, Isaac. Just last week we learned, if you remember, that the gospel wasn't just proclaimed in Matthew, Mark, Luke or John. But we find the roots of the gospel. We find the roots of the good news Going all the way back into Genesis, Genesis chapter 3, where God tells Satan that you will strike his heel, but he will crush your head. And last week we learned about when God promised Abraham that he would be a blessing. He would have a great land. He would have a, uh, be a, a blessing to the nations. And then he just said those words, and all nations from you will be blessed. He was predicting and prophesying Christ even in those times. As we step now into Genesis chapter 22, we see the reality of the cross even coming out way, way back in Genesis. 
We see it oftentimes threaded through the Old Testament. We see it threaded in Isaiah 53. We see it threaded through Psalms 22. But here in Genesis chapter 22, we find perhaps the first threads of the, of the hint at the cross and a saviour coming to give up his life for you and for me. Folks, the wonder of the Bible is that Christ is the preeminent figure start to finish. And as we read through these next texts, I trust that you will just get excited that as we look at this, this idea of Isaac being almost like a Jesus figure and the relationship between Abraham and Isaac being very much like Father God to us. I pray that we are just filled again with the awe of God for constructing his scripture in such a way that is just so wonderfully wound together and that it teaches us so much about his redemption plan. This is the thing that gets me. God's redemption plan was not a last minute thought. It was purposed before the creation of the world, so much so that it was written into the book of Genesis, the very first book, and carried on through to the end. I love this quote. I hope it comes up. But this is quote is uh, very appropriately. It was written by a guy named Timothy Cross, and I found it in the Evangelical Times. But it actually says these words: "The old T in the old T, the cross is prefigured and prophesied. In the Gospels, the cross is described. In Acts, the cross is proclaimed. In the Epistles, the cross is explained and applied. In Revelation, the cross is the theme of praise and adoration. And as men yesterday in our prayer time, we read from Revelation 5. Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and ten thousands upon ten thousands. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. And a loud voice was saying, worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Worthy, worthy, worthy is the lamb that was slain. So just over the next few minutes, I'm just going to read through the story from Genesis chapter 22. And I'm going to pause at four points just to highlight how we can see this. In the story of Abraham and Isaac, we could see a picture of Christ. We could see a picture of God and Jesus. And again, I don't think it was an accident, Cookie, that you stood up here with Hudson. Because as you look at that, that image of Abraham's love for his son and God's love for his father, may we remember that as the backdrop of the story here. So will you read with me? Sometime later, God tested Abraham. It wasn't a temptation. It was a test. Okay? He said to Abraham, oh, sorry, he, said, he called him Abraham. Here I am, he replied. Then God said, and here's the first point, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to, Mount, to the region of Moriah, sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain that I will show you. Verse 2, take your son, your only son, who you love. The first similarity is that both Isaac and Jesus were loved sons of their fathers. We would expect that, wouldn't we? What father doesn't love their son? What father isn't proud of their son? But perhaps unlike any other father, what were they willing to do? They were willing to give them up. Abraham was willing to give up his son to demonstrate his love for God. Hebrews chapter 11 tells us that as soon as that command came, Abraham reckoned his son dead. Abraham reckoned Isaac to be dead right from that moment. 
He knew what he was going to do. He reckoned him dead. And this was going to be the one that would be the seed. He was going to be the one that would fulfill the prophecy. He didn't understand it, but he was willing to obey and trust God. But the fact is, I, I love this. God was willing to give up his son to demonstrate his love for the world. Abraham was willing to offer up Isaac in obedience and love for God. God offered up his son to demonstrate his love for you and for me, the world. Interestingly, I find in this passage, this is the first time we, we read the word love. Love is not mentioned in the Bible up until Genesis chapter 22. And where's the context that it's found? It's found in the father's love for his child. It's found in the father's love, Abraham's love for his son. That speaks to us of the love of the Father. Yes, for his son, but also for each one of us as his children. Verse 2 carries on and says, And go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain that I will show you. So Isaac and Jesus were both loved from their fathers, yet willingly sacrificed. Verse 2, go to the region of Moriah. Just the second point. Abraham and Isaac were living in a place called Bathsheba at the time when Abraham received this charge. God was going to guide Abraham in the story once again to a very specific destination, to a specific place Abraham was called to go. The spot God directed him to was to Mount Moriah, to the region of Moriah initially, but then to Mount Moriah. From Bathsheba to Mount Moriah was about a three-day journey. That's how long it took them. But here's the point. 18 centuries later, that spot, that place, is now known as Jerusalem. And the mountain is now known as Mount Calvary. Just as Abraham took Isaac to Mount Moriah, God took Jesus to Jerusalem to Mount Calvary, and there was willing to offer him up. Isaac and Jesus, in order to be the sacrifice, both climbed the same mountain. Let's keep reading. Verse 3. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two servants. Oh, just to come back. Early the next morning. I love that. When he had heard the voice of God, did he dilly-dally? Early the next morning, he got up and he went. Great challenge for us, isn't it? When we hear God speak to us, let's move. Let's not sit around. Let's not wait. Let's not dilly-dally. You like that word, huh? <laughs> Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded the donkey, took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut wood burnt for the burnt offerings, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I, go, while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then come back to you. Verse 6, Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. And he himself carried the fire and the knife as the two of them went on together. Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, yes, my son, he replied. The fire and the wood, where are they? Isaac said, but where is uh, the fire and the wood are here? Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. I just want to come back to verse 6, the verse that is highlighted there. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. As Abraham and Isaac climbed Mount Moriah for the sacrifice, what was it that Isaac carried? 
Isaac carried the wood. His father Abraham carried the knife and the fire in order to make Isaac the sacrifice. But Isaac carried the wood. What picture does that portray for you as we remember the crucifixion story, as we remember Jesus climbing Mount Calvary? Yes, Jesus too was carrying the wood. He was carrying his own cross. He was carrying the object that represented his sacrifice, his death. Both Isaac and Jesus carried the wood upon which they were to be sacrificed. Picking the story up then in verse 9. When they reached the place God had told them about, Abraham built an altar there. Remember last week, what was the only thing that Abraham built? He didn't build a house, didn't build a castle, didn't build a business. All he built were altars. Another one right here. When they reached the place God had told them about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. The point just is this, is that green part up there again. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar. At this time in his life, Abraham was probably about 120 years old, somewhere around there, a bit older, a bit younger. He was not a young man. He was a much older man. Many commentators state that Isaac probably would have been a young man at this stage. He would have been in his late teens, perhaps early 20s. We're not fully sure. But the idea is this, that Isaac was of the age where he could have overpowered Easily resisted, easily fought back, easily run off from Abraham. But we don't read that happening. The idea is that Isaac must have trusted his father. And trusted his father to bind him. Trusted his father to rest him on that wood. Trusted his father even as he saw Abraham's uplifted arm with the knife there. Rather than resist, he yielded to the will of his father. In a similar way, Jesus went to the cross. He too didn't fight it. He prayed, take this cup from me. But then he followed it up. Yet not my will, but your will be done. Jesus could easily have resisted, but he chose not to. He resisted the urge to fight back. He resisted the urge to call out for help. He was the willing sacrifice, the one who was willing to go through the cross, endure the pain and the suffering, for you and for me. Both Isaac and Jesus, when laid out on the altar of sacrifice, were willing to take what was about to come. You know, there's a lot more that we could read and look into the story and equate with the, with the crucifixion story, with the life of Jesus. But just those few elements. But I just want to end with verse 14 and 15. Jesus was loved by the Father, but he was led to Mount Calvary to be the sacrifice for the world. We see that here. Abraham looked up, and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over, and he took the ram and sacrifices at a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place the Lord will provide. And to this day, it is said, on the mountain of the Lord, 
it will be provided. On that journey, Jesus carried, Jesus bore that cross to that hill to suffer and die painfully. He did it without fighting. He did it without risking. Sorry, he, he did it without resisting. He did it without balking. But as we just read in those last few verses, what did God do for Abraham? God provided Abraham with a ram. God didn't have to take Isaac's life. He was more interested, not so much in Isaac's life, he was more interested in Abraham's heart. And so he offers, but when he saw it, he was willing to offer up his son. What does he do? He provided a ram in his place. At that moment, that's perhaps a picture of the resurrection, because at that moment, all of a sudden, to Abraham, Isaac came alive. He'd been dead in his mind, literally, for, for three days on that journey from Beersheba to Moriah. Now he was alive. God gave him that ram to die in his place. Friends, today, on that cross, though, is that place where you and I should be hung. Why? Because we are the sinners. We are the true debtors to God. But what did God provide instead? God provided a lamb. God provided Jehovah Jireh, the one who provides. Yes, he provides our daily needs. Yes, he provides room, shelter, food, all those things. But what was the greatest need that you and I have? It's to be forgiven of our sins. The greatest need was to turn dead men into live men. We were dead and lost in our sins and our transgressions. Jesus came to turn dead men into living men. He didn't come to make bad men good. Well, yes, he did. But that wasn't my greatest priority. His greatest priority is to take what was dead and make it alive. Just as the bands come, we're going to take communion now. We're going to sing a song or come to the altar. This morning, I pray that as we come to communion, may we be reminded yet again of something that we must never, ever forget. And it's this, that Christ is rich in grace and mercy. He came to save. He came to stand in the place of sinners like you and me. The centrality of the, of the cross, the focal point all through the scriptures, the Old Testament, the New Testament, the meeting point is here. The meeting point of the cross is that we can do business with God at the cross. We can come to God and we can bring Him our sin and He will make that faithful exchange and give us salvation, give us righteousness. He will sanctify us afresh. Today, if you've given your life to Jesus and you are following him as Lord and Savior, when the band starts to play, please, we would just invite you to come and take these elements. But before you do, just do a bit of business with God. If there's something separating you or something blocking your relationship with God, deal with it now. Deal with it today. And then come to the, cross, uh, come to the tables and take of the elements. And we've got our, our um, stewards that are down here. They will give you the bread because we don't want you reaching in, but they've got gloves and they'll be masked up. So they will give you the bread. So if we could have our stewards come, please do that. But just take some time before you do that as the band just plays. Do some business with God. Just ask God to forgive you. 
Whatever it might be that might be standing in your way right now. If nothing is, just come to the table and rejoice. Come to the table and remember and say, thank you once again, God, that you saved a sinner like me. But perhaps you had sat out there this morning and this message is a little bit strange. Perhaps the, you've never heard of this Jesus before. Maybe you've, you've seen crosses, but you've never really understood it. Maybe take some time to consider your heart. Take some time to consider where you're going. Is your life riddled with mistakes, with sin? You just know that, that there is a, you sense there's a God, but you don't sense that he's happy with you. Listen, he loves you. He's like Cookie with little Hudson. He loves you. But what he's most desperate for is that you come to the cross and you accept him as your Lord, as, as your Lord and Savior and be willing to turn your life around. It does come at a cost. It's not, going to be, it's not going to be cheap. It's going to come at a cost. The cost is this. You have to give him your life. You're going to have to sacrifice some things. You have to give up some things. But it's well worth it. Why? Because your eternal life, your eternal life is based upon that decision. Christ came to take what is dead and make it alive. Do you want a fresh start this morning? Come to the cross. Ask God to do a new work in you, to forgive you, to change you, to cleanse you. He will do that. Father, I just want to say thank you for the cross. It's so central to our faith. And again, it didn't just get proclaimed in Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. But it was determined before the creation of the world. It was highlighted and mentioned and woven throughout the whole Testament, Old Testament, starting here in Genesis 22. And you poured out the illustration through a father and a son, Abraham and Isaac. God, may that just inspire us to say, God, you love me just like Abraham loved Isaac. You love me just like you love your son. Therefore, God. I want to give my life afresh back to you. Help me to walk with you in wholeness and devotion, committed to you, your son, your child this morning. Do a new work in us, we pray. Amen. Just as the band play, please come and take communion together.